Hello. <laughs> How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? Good. I just got back from LA yesterday. Congrats on the premiere. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a fun time. <laughs> but good to finally see the show come out. And almost. Comes out on Thursday, but at least be able to see it on a big screen. So it's a good time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, seeing Chandler break out the mint green coat. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I couldn't pull it off. Not with this complexion. <laughs> well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm excited to have you. Are you ready to get started? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All righty. So, Hi, welcome to CWC. I'm so happy to have you on. This podcast is all about connecting, you know, young composers with people who are out there in the world making it. So you are as free to get as technical or non-technical with this speech as you want. If you want to be dropping words like an appoggiatura, we're going to know what it means. So it's okay. This is a free space for you to just be a composer. No need to dumb it down or hold it back. Be your big nerdy self. We are so excited to have you. Um, for people in the audience who might not be familiar with your work or are just more familiar with your work for Netflix, would you mind introducing yourself and the project Queer as Folk? Yes. Hi there. My name is Joshua Cleavy and I'm the composer for Peacock's new reimagination of Queer as Folk. Um, and I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so what was your first thoughts when this project was brought to you and they gave you your, the elevator pitch? Well, I was extremely excited being a queer artist myself to approach a series like this that has such meaning for queer individuals in the past. It, it was obviously very exciting, um, just a, a initial thought of it. And then once I had the opportunity to read the script, I realized what an exciting direction they were going to be taking the show and how they were really going to be representing the queer community as it looks like today, which is much different than what it may have looked like, you know, many years ago when the other um, versions came out, the British version, the Showtime version. And so I, I think, you know, we're constantly in need of more representation of queer stories on television and it's so important to be able to look at a screen and be able to see yourself and there's been often times when i've watched shows and there might be a gay character here or there and it often feels very cliche or i don't feel like i see myself in that character so when i read the script um, of the pilot episode i really understood that all right here's a group of queer individuals that are really trying to tell authentic unapologetic queer stories that I could relate to and see aspects of myself in, which was extremely exciting and uh, sounded like a, a messy good time to, you know, write the music for <laughs> from there. So. Oh my gosh. Yes. As a young queer person, I'm only 22. I was so excited to hear about this reimagination of the story, especially because as you were saying, the current world looks so different. And when I watched the Showtime version and the British version, I was like, I don't get it. It's fine. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't get it. But I'm also, you know, only 22 and I've been out for like 
a year and a half now. So like, oh my gosh, I'm excited to see, you know, like my experiences also reflected on the screen. Yes, no, absolutely. And I think they do such a tremendous job in really trying to show the whole uh, gambit of what it can look like to be queer and also be queer and you don't need to be perfect. You can make all the mistakes you make. You can be messy. You can be emotional. You can be whoever you are and that's okay. And, um, you know, coming into it, that's kind of just what I immediately felt from the moment I started having conversations with Stephen Dunn, the creator, and the rest of the team. I just felt like this sense of immediate community and sense of love and care that we were all there to just really pour everything we had into it to give the most authentic feeling queer show we possibly could because it does mean something to us. We do have, it, it, it's something personal. So yeah, that's, it, it was exciting from the very beginning. It's always more fun to work on a project where everyone's really passionate about the story that you're telling. Absolutely. I, I think it's very hard to be creative when you don't feel that love there, when you don't feel that excitement there. I, I think, you know, that's how you can do your best work when you are just so much ingrained into what this story is, that you can be the most creative and take risks and be daring with it. Exactly. I mean, that's why I at least went into composition in the first place. Exactly. <laughs> How did your vision for the score change over time from when you first got that pitch and when you started getting footage to work with? It was definitely a journey from the very beginning. Um, the uh, creator, Stephen Dunn, uh, he was very passionate about percussion and found sounds, which was very exciting to me. I just, um, earlier on, I had done an animal series for Netflix, um, which kind of incorporated some off strange weird sounds. I had done a podcast where it was built almost entirely from clanking metal together, um, things like that. So that was very much interesting to me that that was the direction he wanted to take with it. Um, but of course, then that's also terrifying because it really just, there was nothing that we couldn't try at that point. And so it was about really trying to narrow down what could the sound of this show be. And it, it took a lot of experimenting and a lot of just trying different things at, at the front to just see, you know, you kind of just throw everything at the, at the wall and see what could stick. And of course, then you go and do something and then more footage is rolling in and then it might not match the picture. So then you're, you're starting to rethink how certain sounds could work. And I think that was the hardest part was just really trying to find a sound palette that felt exciting and weird and different and fun, but also reflective of what was happening on the screen. And so we really kind of went for it when it came to, um, the story takes place in New Orleans, but we knew we did not want to be, here's New Orleans jazz cliche music. So. We, we drew some inspiration from the place itself, but tried to flip it on its head. So, I mean, we have anything from the sound of beer bottles clinking, the sound of Mardi Gras beats shaking, um, took inspiration from street performers. So took uh, like plastic buckets and hit them. Um, drawing inspiration from one of the opening scenes. We even took sex toys and whacked buckets with it to make like deep <laughs> dunking sounds. Um, we took the sound of high heels clanking across the floor, um, sound of a skateboard, 
uh, sound of bicycle wheels spinning, um, the sound of claps, snaps, uh, vocal breaths. Um, I mean, anything that was unconventional and was not <laughs> a typical instrument was definitely the approach. Oh my gosh, I love that, especially because I, so I'm seeing now why like Chandler thought this would be a great interview because what I primarily do as a composer is I do electroacoustic music okay. um, using lots of found sounds. Oh, fantastic. My, I recently did a piece a year ago where it was um, related to lockdown and specifically all the news that was going on. And so uh -huh. everything was either found sounds from like, guns being pointed or, you know, me throwing a watermelon off my balcony and saying it's a gun. Um, <laughs> hey, or, it sounds like it. <laughs> honestly, yeah. I actually found cantaloupes sound more like guns. Oh, um, wow. Throwing them <laughs> off my balcony. Oh yes, important <laughs> knowledge. Um, and just like all the sounds I could find from every comedy show and TikTok and news story. And then my most recent piece, I actually like, I combined the sounds of Chicago trains and Boston trains uh, in order to make the sounds of dragons roaring. Like, so just found sounds are so exciting to me and I use it in a lot of my own music. I love that. Um, and so that's why I've got to ask what was your technique for doing this? When you're getting those sounds of the skateboard, when you're getting the high heels walking, are you like working also as your own sound designer, putting on your own heels, putting a condenser mic on the phone and just seeing what comes out? Or is it a lot of stock sounds or were you like in Pro Tools doing it? Like, how'd you do it? Like, I want to know was as a composer and I'm sure everyone in the audience who's also a composer, they're getting out their mics and they're like, oh, I want to know, how'd you do it? <laughs> Um, it was definitely a mix of things. So, I mean, it really just started off with, I just kind of walked around my house and just started collecting these. I was like, this can make an interesting noise, this can make an interesting noise. And I think one of the first sounds that was done um, definitely was taking beer bottles clinking. I was just thinking of like this, the, the parties that go on the streets in New Orleans and things it's like, okay, let's start there. Let's start with like, uh, so we grabbed a bunch of beer bottles, different amounts of liquids in it. Um, you know, also blowing into them. Um, and so those were very much made right, th right there. Um, and then you can kind of go and do effects on them in, uh, in Cubase, that's what I work in. Um, past that, to, you know, add a little more excitement to the sound. Um, and uh, from there, then it kind of led to, uh, it led to the sex toys and seeing what that sounds like to <laughs> take a dildo and whack it against the bucket. And it made a really deep, deep sound. I was like, oh, that great, that's the bass drum sound. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we def I definitely pulled some sounds also just from like splice. Um, I took the sound of someone puking and that became a crash symbol. Um, and that worked really well. Um, I took, uh, went to a little bar set up in the house, grabbed rocks glasses, turned over an ice bucket and scraped it along the edge of it. Um, and that kind of gave, oh, it almost sounded like a kind of like a rubbed across a timpani sound, but it had a little bit more of a metallic rattle. And that proved useful for uh, one of the characters, Mingus. Um, took, uh, what else did we do? Um, uh, I, I played trombone growing up from fourth grade through um, like two years in college. Um, but, and so I did kind of some weird slidey sounds. Those I don't think ended up quite 
I think a few of them ended up making it in. Otherwise, what was more interesting was actually just taking my finger and tapping the bell of it and getting this metallic sound, um, which was useful. Um, there was, there's one episode in the series, uh, it's episode seven, there's eight episodes. And that one is just completely bonkers. I mean, you have like a mushroom trip that goes on and everything gets crazy. And I remember it was like midnight and I'm sitting there trying to get the cue written. I just stood in front of a microphone and just started making any random noise that came out of my mouth <laughs> and just recorded like 30 different tracks of it, chopped it all up. And I mean, it, it's, it's absurd, but it kind of just all worked because it was just a bit crazy and fun. So um, yeah, it was definitely a mix of, uh, I tried to keep it very organic and creating sounds myself and then something that may have been a bit more difficult um, to kind of hone in on. I could find spice sounds and then kind of go um, mess up the sound and, and go from there, so. So I've got to ask, did you already own a skateboard for this project or did you have to like go out and buy one? <laughs> you could, no, I, I had like a skateboard deck that you could kind of slide against and, and that worked fine. So um, I, I had a bicycle that I wheeled in from the garage um, high heels use a combination of a uh, pair of shoes that kind of mimicked a high heel sound and then also use a stock high heel, many high heel stock sounds and cycle through and to try to chop up things. Um, but I mean, it was, you know, I think in once you start incorporating them into the music, it's you don't always recognize what you're hearing, but it just immediately gives a more liveliness when you actually are doing more recordings of yourself. Um, I've kind of just in my composing journey process. I have been slowly, I think, going away from using stock samples and trying to just create my own, my own instruments and sounds because there's just such a more liveliness to them that just is exciting. Um, and I think it challenges you more because you are, you know, <laughs> making it yourself in that moment, which is fun. One of my favorite activities to do when I'm trying to figure out what sounds to make is I'll get some of my percussion buddies, get some mallets, and then go to Home Depot and just like hit stuff. Yep. And then decide whether or not to buy it and then just confuse people when we go to checkout and be like, what the heck are you building? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I, I, I did an entire podcast where I did, that's what I did. I went to Home Depot, went through, found a bunch of different random pieces of metal and steel. I'm like, here's my instruments. <laughs> I went to Home Depot and so like I had a bunch of paint buckets a lot of just like the Home Depot buckets and then like one of those like wash things that you put at the bottom of like pipes for uh -huh. catching the drainage and I think I also got some PVC pipes for doing breathing with my clarinet students oh. and something from the lighting area and I yep. took it and I went to check out and they're like what? are you building? And they're like, I'm so confused. <laughs> Don't I'm worry. building an instrument? Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> so what would you say was the biggest thing that you learned from this project, either musically or more existentially? I would say one of the more personal journeys that I felt like I went on with this show um, had to do with uh, vocals. I am not a singer, I don't sing, <laughs> but um, the uh, Stephen Dunn had uh, said how much he loved 
vocals. And we weren't talking about like choral vocals where I could just pull up, a, you know, a choir patch and make that work. Um, it, it was more about being an intimate, almost folky sound at times. And, um, and you know, maybe even some more haunting vocals. And again, it was kind of, you know, it was midnight. I was in the process of needing to get the cue out and I kind of just laid down a vocal and it stuck and he loved it. And it kind of just kept going from there and vocals became a, a big part of um, an instrument in the score. Um, but personally, what that was for me was as I, you know, just speaking from my experience, your voice uh, as a gay man can be a bit of a struggle. It's kind of like a giveaway at sometimes early on, oh, you're gay because you sound gay or your voice is higher. Um, you know, I get, get mistaken as a madam all the time on the phone and things like that. And that's always kind of something I've been very self-conscious of. And so to be on a queer show where I could just sing and, you know, use a falsetto voice, you know, and, and not worry about it was really uh, just kind of emotional for me. And, and you know, I, I don't think he even, Stephen even realized that when he said how much he loved it, what a confidence booster it was for me personally to just feel comfortable doing something like that. Because I had not incorporated my voice in anything in the past. And um, so from there, it just kind of gave me a bit more of a confidence to just use my voice in a way as a whole other tool and another instrument, which was exciting. And, and it, uh, yeah, it was just, it was, a uh, it was like a moving experience in the process that I didn't even quite realize was going on until as we were reaching then and going, wow, <laughs> my vocals are kind of all over in this. And I've been always so conscious about, so conscious about my vocals and, um, you know, granted I may have to take 50 takes to get one take that will work for me, but you know, it, that was, uh, I think, that, that was definitely the most prominent thing that stood out for me in this process. I love that so much. And that, I feel like that speaks on so many levels to just the queer experience and simply just the experience of being a musician as well. Um, I've had my own experiences where I was told I speak too low for a woman, whatever that means. Or, you know, in music school, I did have a professor, even though I was a composer with a clarinet emphasis, um, tell me that I should drop out because I had such a hard time figuring out how to sing on pitch. And so it's just amazing yeah. the journeys our voices can take us on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that is, very much a part of what it means to be queer to you know in a society that is not always been accepting of it you kind of always have to feel like you're going against the grain of things and you always have to kind of come out of uh fear trauma and you know experiences like that to find yourself um which is a very unique experience for a queer individual, you know, and, and a lot of other people also experience that way. But, you know, obviously I'm just speaking from my own experience in that. And um, yeah, I think, you know, that's where we're lucky as musicians, as composers, to be able to find another way to use our voice, both physically your voice and also just 
writing music and able to express yourself artistically. Yeah, absolutely. I have nothing to add on that. That was super well said. On a lighter note, upon looking at the trailers, as I was, you know, watching the trailers, going through Peacock, finding everything I could find online about this series to prepare for this interview, I had one question that just kept coming up in my mind. Is there going to have to be a version of this soundtrack that comes out as the club mix version, or can this just be played in the club already? (laughs) I think what... That was always a thing that I was conscious of because these shows, I I think what um, make them so fun is obviously the inclusion of these amazing songs throughout the series and needle drops that go on. And I've always kind of struggled with sometimes watching a show and when you may have score that leads up to a song or comes out of it. And there's such a difference in feel and tone and what they're doing. And so... I really wanted to try to make an effort to blur the line sometimes between what was score and what could be song, um, you know, or just like a backing track type thing. So, um, you know, definitely one of the uh, probably more bumping club type tracks is uh, the main titles, which is you get a little snippet of it um, across the series and then also it's use of the end titles. And I mean, it's, I, <laughs> Yeah, you could do a remix of it, but it, we, it's almost like a remix has already been done of it. So uh, it, it, it definitely was, you know, taking inspiration from pop songs and things like that to really just make it feel like, you know, if this comes on, it's a club mix of you are, you know, you're watching Queer as Folk and you're having, you know, the best time doing it. So, yeah. <laughs> so while you might not need a club mix for this because it's already bopping, is there any DJs you would like to see try? Um, I mean, to me, that I would shout out to any queer DJs out there that want want, want to do this. I think you know, I I, I, I can think of a couple um, that uh, I think would be a lot of fun to do that, and you know, I think uh, keep it keep it in the family in that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Beautiful. On that kind of same note, what is your favorite needle drop? of the series either to work with or just listen to what is my favorite oh i can't pick i mean honestly there is so much incredible needle drop music in this and actually there's um the one character mingus who um is this uh young high schooler drag queen skateboarder um they uh do these perform uh, these drag performances and honestly every single drag performance is just <laughs> i mean you want to just stop everything you're doing you're just eyes are fixated so to me anytime mingus is on the screen doing a drag performance that those are my favorite moments um they're they're so powerful and the actor is so incredible in it and so captivating um i can't wait for everyone to see those those moments so ever since I first got introduced to drag, I've always been so scared when I see a drag performer on wheels because it seems like something dangerous always happens, even if I'm just like at a drag club or if I'm watching RuPaul's Drag Race. So I need to know, are they doing drag on the skateboard? And should I like fear for my own emotional safety as <laughs> I want it to happen? If you're allowed to disclose. They are not doing necessarily drag on a skateboard however there is a moment where 
they are wearing, uh, what are they called? The, the wheelies, where the wheels are on your shoes, on the heels. And it, it's everything. It's everything. So I can't even wear heelies when I'm walking down the street in a straight line. Oh, oh yes, it's I'm great. I'm now, but no, I'm it's also fantastic. very uncoordinated. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Well, that is all I have for you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Something I'm doing new now with season three, if you haven't listened in yet, is I'm now giving the people I'm interviewing the chance to ask me one question at the end of the interview. So do you have any questions? Um, where do you feel like you're at in your composer journey? I feel like I'm in this weird space of truly being on my own with my projects now that I've graduated and I'm not having lessons one to two times a week to check in. And it's very freeing, but it's also a little scary uh-huh. because so many of my best ideas have come from using my teacher as a soundboard and while i know there's so many other composers out there who are totally down to be a soundboard it's not already scheduled and i'm not already forced to do it and so to me that's just a little scary but also it's a very exciting time i just came back from the league of american orchestras conference and At first I was going purely as um, a future arts administrator because I've decided I want to do a lot of nonprofit work. Um, And so I'm getting my master's in arts administration. But then I found so many people in like these professional schools of music in like Manhattan or various orchestras that are interested in my work. And I always knew the day was going to come where there were going to be people outside of academia who wanted to play my music um, aside from my film scores. And the fact that it's happening is kind of a lot all at once. Like I got 13 cards sitting on my desk now. And so I feel like I'm just at the beginning of being a real professional and it's a little overwhelming, but also a little scary at the same time because I have so many possibilities but no firm offers yet right well it's I you know just in the experiences that I've had I moved to LA when I was uh 20 years old I started at remote control um with Hans Zimmer and kind of went through the process of being an intern assistant for like two and a half years was slowly given opportunities to like orchestration parts and things like that and it's it's a very, I think it, it's, people forget what a long journey this is. I mean, I, you know, since then, what was that, 2009 that I moved here? I mean, I feel like every day I'm just constantly learning something new and going, oh, wow, like three years ago, stuff that I wrote, I like feel entirely, di- like an entirely different composer since then. And so it's just such a, um, a process of constantly trying to find your voice, reinvent yourself, see what you can do differently, see what excites you. Um, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's such an interesting 
uh, feel to be a part of. And it's, uh, you can experience all the range of emotions, but ultimately I think that's why we're able to lock ourselves in a room for hours on end, because you do love to write music and you do love to just be there and exist in that. I think that's what allows us to keep going through all these you know, different times that we experience as a composer. Yes, absolutely. I made the mistake of once I graduated, I was like, let me go look at the stuff I wrote in high school to audition for music school. And I looked at it and I listened to it. And I was like, it is a miracle I got into music school. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to learn. And I think it's so, I, I, I feel like the, it's the hardest part is trying to find what is your voice and what's going to make you unique and stand out and different. Because I think that's what you look at some of the, you know, these great composers and that's what they have done. They have established themselves as a sound voice that they bring to the music community. And they obviously didn't just do that overnight. <laughs> it was, you know, it, it takes forever to get there and you're going to keep exchanging it and keep, you know, learning that. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I wish someone had told me that earlier. I got to my second semester of undergrad and I remember telling my teacher, I said, I'm so frustrated. I don't know what kind of composer I am. I'm like, what genre do I even write? What style do I write? I'm like, I don't know. And I think the best piece of advice I got that semester was it is not up to you to decide what genre you're writing. And he said, that's a job for historians after you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Don't even worry about what genres you're in. I mean, I think that's what's exciting about working in film. I mean, you don't know what you're going to be thrown to. You might be writing a jazz track one day and then writing a pop track the next day to fit in with whatever story you're trying to tell. Um, and I think being having that versatility and having that uh, courage to just try something that is completely out of your wheelhouse is where you learn the most in that process. Yes. And Unfortunately, I found that's almost like a controversial opinion to have. I was at a composer pitch session last week, and one of the people who was listening to the composer pitches literally said, you guys aren't saying like what style you write in. And I almost wanted to just like burst out and say, that's not our job. Yeah, yeah, no, like <laughs> you can be whatever style you could, you could be, you know, whatever you want it to be. And you may change 10 years in and go, you know what? This is my sound now. Oh my gosh. I mean. If I come out like 15 years later and I am like then a country bluegrass musician, I think it. it's just wor it's going to be worthy. I can be, yeah. it's going to be something. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. You never know. You may try one and go, oh, you know what? This comes naturally. This is fun. What else can I do? <laughs> What's something new that you want to try? I would like to do. Um, I would like to do more work for kind of like live audiences. Um, of, oh, how long ago was it now? <laughs> about maybe about a year and a half ago. Um, year ago, I had written a piece of music and I worked with a choreographer and kind of created this whole a uh, short dance film out of it. And I've always been moved by movement. And um, I was a competitive gymnast for 14 years. So I've always like loved dance and I loved just that, that style. And I love like Cirque du Soleil and things like that. So um, I would definitely like to kind of 
writes more music within that space that's less about being on a screen and more about an audience sharing an experience live in front of you, um, which is a different style of writing and a different mindset to put yourself in. So that's what I would like to um, be able to find time to do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Have you ever thought about writing for uh, WGI for Winter Guards? No, I have not. That oh could God. be fun. Yes. I mean, like you get to deal with, you know, gymnastics, dance, flags, yeah. whatever props they bring in. And like what I remember from when I used to do WGI, please don't look up those videos. I was bad at it. <laughs> uh, is like, they're always looking for composers to like work with. So just like, oh, just a thought. In space. We'll call somebody. Yeah. I mean, there's so many avenues to write music. I mean, I would love to write music for a fashion show. I think that would be so fun and interesting. Because that's like, you know, fashion's an art form that, you know, I think they have their runway shows and they get very extravagant and they have like, you know, it's a whole experience. I think that would be fun to do. Um, yeah, I, I, to me, I don't want to ever limit myself to just film and television. I, I want to explore as many avenues as I can. Music. So. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Joshua. It has been a pleasure. I hope to have you on again for a future project. Yes, sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Right, bye.